Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line, from the Washington Post, Ben Golliver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. I mean, seriously, not anything. There's nothing going on in the NBA universe. We don't even need to, like, beat around the bush about it. Uh, we've got some incredible questions from the Open Floor Globe, openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. They've been sustaining us, Andrew, because... If you're actually looking for like real news, we're getting like the ninth highest ranked executive from the Clippers being hired as like the biggest headline. <laughs> it's like, come on, guys. Yeah. I, I'm enjoying it, though. I feel like we have come through to the other side after one of the craziest like two or three month stretches I can remember covering the NBA. And now the biggest story, like you said, is like, Johnny Rogers leaving the Clippers to join the Wizards. Ryan West stepped down from the Lakers. I saw a story about Anthony Davis finding out about the Lakers deal from Instagram, and that was like its own standalone story. So that's where we are in the NBA calendar. And frankly, I think we have earned it. We've earned a little downtime and sort of luxuriate and spin our wheels here no it's weird because like my whole life as a student i was always kind of like the procrastinator you know like wait till the end and then just be rushed and do it i was never that person to like get the work done early i feel like Mm -hmm. the entire nba uh, approached july with the idea of look we want to get everything done as quickly as possible we're not worried about the tampering rules we're not worried about illegal contact any (laughs) of that stuff we're just going to get it all done in the first three days and then the last two weeks of july we're all going on vacation and even just like texting with various people around the league, that's what it seems like. It's a it's a real kind of letdown content void, whatever you want to call it. Uh, so I'm I'm struggling to come up with topic material. Hopefully you've taken care of that. I've done my best, and yeah, I think it's a great strategy on the part of the entire NBA, and I'm glad that everyone is on the same page. I'm glad that we knocked it all out at once. And now, Ben. Let's get into some like depths of the offseason topics here. Let's do it. Dave- but I, I should admit, though, like, I mean, being that hoops junkie, like yesterday, I started to shake a little bit and I started to do the top 100 prep. I was like, oh, man, I don't know what to do with myself. What should I do? So I started digging into the top 100. So that's right around the corner, Andrew. Uh, ranking season is sort of, uh, you know, our uh, shining light at the end of the tunnel. I can't wait. And there is a lot of intrigue this year as to who's going to be ranked number one. I'm putting the pressure on you now to put Giannis in that top spot. We'll have to wait and see how it all shakes out. But for now, Ben, we have to talk about over-unders. You talk about having the shakes. You texted me about the over-unders earlier this week. I didn't even know they had been released. But David says, hey guys, the over-unders came out a couple days ago. And I know you guys are starving for off-season subjects for the podcast. Man, this guy knows us. He knows us so well. (laughs) Yes. Um, And David says, at first glance, I have a few strong opinions. One, I don't see how the Jazz's modestly nice off-season warrants a 54.5 over-under there. I'm a strong under on Utah. Conversely, he says... The Nuggets have continuity, experience, and high-end young talent on their side. I'm a strong over on Denver's 52.5 mark. I'm curious, is there anything else from this list that jumps out at you? And Ben, I've listed the over-unders in our little email here. So what else jumps out at you? 
Well, I think you need to inform the listeners why I brought this topic to your attention. I mean, let's keep it uh, completely real. Why did I why sure. did I bring this up? I mean, the Washington Look. Wizards over under was set at 27.5. To me, that's like 22.5 too high. Um, I was stunned to see that number at 27.5. How are you guys going to scrounge up 28 wins next season, Andrew? Can you please convince me of that fact? Okay, so I personally look at 27.5 with the Wizards as a stay away, in part because as a Wizards fan, I would like to see them tank. And God, people must be so sick of us leading off the podcast with the Wizards. But whatever. Look, it is they're what the it one is. that jumped out to me because as I was like going through their rosters, I mean, I didn't realize the scope of the damage. I think eight of their top 10 guys from last year are gone. All you've got is Beal and Thomas Bryant, a bunch of, you know, rookies and no namers, uh, you know, patch hole solutions like Ish Smith and Isaiah Thomas. I mean, don't you think, I mean, even if you want to tank or, or not, don't you think it's going to be a lot darker than 28 wins? Well, and it's funny because when I hit you back, I said, I think it's actually going to be pretty close with that 27 and a half number. And you pointed out all the losses that they have suffered here this offseason. I didn't really think about it because I looked back and said, all right, so they won 32 games a year ago with Beal in place. They'll probably keep Beal for most of the season. 27 or 28 wins is doable. And yet, you move, you remove Otto Porter from the equation. You, you remove Markeith Morris. You well, remove, hey, like, Andrew, don't forget, what about Thomas Sadarensky? You're giving him, I think, what, plus 15 <laughs> wins for the Bulls? Isn't he worth 15 wins to the Bulls? So you got to take away 15 wins off the Wizards, right? Yeah, well, look, my rationale at the end of all this is that I expect the Wizards to frustrate me by winning too many games. And I also think that we (laughs) may be underplaying how grim the rest of the Eastern Conference is. I mean, you look at teams like the Knicks, teams like the Hornets. The Hornets are at 23 and a half wins. I think I would probably go under on 23 and a half. The Cavs are at 24 and a half. I may go under there as well. I mean, the bottom of the East is going to be pretty, pretty awful. And the Wizards may be a tier above that and may be crazy enough to try and compete for like the first three quarters of the season, yeah, which well, could inflate their number a little bit. That was my only point. I, I don't think you're going to have to worry about accidentally winning too many games this year with the Wizards, but I think it's a great point about the bottom of the East. Uh, a couple thoughts. First of all, I considered adding up all the over-under estimations for the Western Conference teams and the Eastern Conference teams so I could do a little bit of like chest thumping about the show, but then I didn't want to have to hear you say, oh, we've got the Larry O'Brien trophy. Like You're this <laughs> big Toronto Raptors fan, so I just kind of like uh, you know shortcut that entire conversation, but it's crazy at the bottom of the East. There's going to be a real tank race this year, don't you think? I mean, there's a lot of teams. I don't like what do those teams that you listed really have to play for? I mean, you could throw Memphis in, I think, and, and maybe Phoenix from the Western Conference. I think Phoenix is probably going to try to win a little bit more this year than they usually do, uh, especially with Monty there. But, I mean, there's a, a solid four or five teams where, like, you're going to need the Wizards to tank hard if you want to, you know, prevail, quote-unquote, over the Hornets and the Cavaliers of the world. Yeah, you know what I'm interested to watch is how aggressive the tanking is in light of how th- Thin this draft class is. I mean, you look at the guys coming in next season um, or coming into the draft next season, 
And you've got Anthony Edwards, who's kind of like a combo guard going to Georgia. A lot of people like his upside. I'm willing to talk myself into him as a Wizards fan who desperately needs something to cling to for hope. But like beyond that, I don't no know. question. Well, look, I think a couple thoughts from that. First of all, I could tell you how next year's draft season is going to go. Everybody who was bagging on Ben Simmons about not taking college basketball seriously and all that is going to be revving up their engines for the LaMelo Ball experience. So I'm already just like preparing to tune out all of those kinds of analysts who are just going to be like freaking out about uh, how his last five years of his life have been handled and whether he's about the right stuff and all that. That will be incredibly obnoxious. Can I say, though, um, on the tank front, you're right. Like, I think last year or like in some previous years, we've seen like 21st century technology tanks like storming the roads to Baghdad and all that. And like (laughs) (laughs) next year's tanks, it's going to be like those World War One tanks where they could sort of like barely get through the little holes in the trenches and all that. And like they were still trying to figure out the technology. I I think maybe that's where uh, next year's tanking race is headed. I think it's a possibility. The tanking may be more half-hearted this next season. And really, a lot of it depends on LaMelo Ball. A lot of people will tell you that LaMelo is the best of the Ball siblings and has the highest upside. And look, I'm about to go on vacation for the next few weeks. So that could be a project for you. You could get to the bottom of the LaMelo Ball story and tell me how real he is as an NBA prospect. And that could be how you spend your August. Are Are you in for that? Yeah, I mean, yeah, that sounds like a dangerous project. We <laughs> sent some people half-hearted. <laughs> people were sent to like Lithuania with him, right? And they they came yeah. back with more questions than answers. So I don't know if I want to like you know dump a month of my life into that rabbit hole. Um, in terms of some of these other over unders, though, I have another one for you. What about Sacramento at thirty seven point five? I kind of feel like they're gonna pass that. When I look at you know their their offseason moves, I don't think either one of us really liked it. I mean, there was a lot of overpaying. I, I compared it to like you know how you have to pay like a thirty percent premium on everything when you go to uh, you know London or Paris. Um, yeah, like the Divac exchange rate or whatever you want to call it. But they, <laughs> they they didn't load up with like quality depth, but they did load up with competent depth. You're gonna get a, definitely another step forward from Darren Fox, who's one of the few guys from his class who's kind of established himself already at this point. Um, yep. Some of the other pieces fit stylistically. You bring in Luke Walton; he wants to play like his best players uh, want to play too. Like they're athletes trying to get up and down. Like that's what Luke Walton wants to do. He wants to just be like frenetic, high paced, uh, having fun. You know, you know, putting butts in seats, that kind of thing. To me, that just screams like a 41-win team or a 42-40 type team. And I think that if, if, it, if the line's at 37.5, I just feel like that's really good value. It is decent value. I don't know. I mean, my prevailing thought on the West, like you're, you're right to single out the Kings as the, that 37.5 number seems low. The, the Pelicans, for instance, are at, I believe, 39.5. I would put the Pelicans and the Kings at that same number with 39 and a half and see which one can get to 40. Uh, And, you know, the Kings, they do have talent. You look at some of the numbers from Buddy Heald and he grades out really, really well relative to other guards and some of his three-point shooting numbers. He can't guard anybody uh, and that's going to be an issue going forward. He doesn't create very well, but like he's a good player and probably better than he's gotten credit for through the first couple seasons of his career. I just, I look at the West and so many of these teams freak me out as a potential gambler. Uh, Like, 
at the top of the West, for instance, it's just going to be a Royal Rumble with Denver at 52 and a half, Houston at 54 and a half, the Jazz at 54 and a half. You could sell me on the case either way for each one of those teams. And so to go back to, to David's takes at the beginning of this, like, I don't know. I don't have strong opinions on on how the Jazz will grade out relative to that 54 and a half line. And the same holds true with the the Kings near the bottom of the conference. Like I could see them getting halfway through the season and realizing that they are not nearly as close as they thought over the summer. So like that that's very much in play as well. I think you said Buddy Hield's a little bit better than he got credit for through the first couple of years of his career. He's also a little bit older than he got credit for through the first couple of years. Remember, <laughs> he kept changing his age. It's kind of crazy because he's coming up off uh, the end of his like rookie contract, right? He's 26. Yeah. And so that makes like such a fascinating decision if you're the Kings because like instead of on that second contract where you're like, well, we really want this guy to be like a foundational guy if we're going to give him tons and tons of money because like, uh, you know, he, he's still developing. And like, I mean, with Buddy Heald, like you're basically paying his third contract as his second contract because he's so much older. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I think for them, like that would be one where I'm bracing if I'm a Kings fan. Like there's going to be a really big number that comes through for him. And it's going to be like, everyone's going to look around like, wait a minute, what? And it will be slightly defensible, I think, because of what you're saying, where he hasn't totally gotten the credit he deserves, especially uh, for the numbers he put up last season. Uh, But also just because he's older and like these are his prime years, he should be putting up his best numbers in a situation where he can shoot as many times as he wants to. Um, And uh, so, you know, I don't know. It's just kind of a weird skewing effect all around with Buddy Heald. Uh, to me, I'm not sure how many wins he really drives. I think that is one tricky part about the Kings. I, I'm optimistic on the Kings mostly because of Fox uh, and because of Bagley being into year two. Um, yeah. Less so on you know a guy like say Buddy Heald or Harrison Barnes, where to me they're like they're putting as much or they're taking as much off the table as they put onto the table. Um, now, in terms of the top of the West and like okay, which one of these guys do you really feel like betting on? Um, it's really tricky to talk yourself into any of the teams that are sort of pegged to be. Uh, you know, above 50, like Houston at 54.5. That sounds really high to me too. Um, How do you feel on the Rockets? Yeah, you know, I'm a believer in what they'll be able to put together in the regular season. And I think for a lot of the reasons that we've discussed, uh, their playoff ceiling is going to be more interesting and more complicated. But regular season wise, I just trust them to put together mid 50s wins basically every year at this point. I think one of the things in the Westbrook conversations that was sort of taken for granted is the idea that Harden is just going to continue to be able to be at this MVP level every single year. I mean, he's basically been superhuman the last three seasons, and I don't know how long that's going to continue. But I think if that continues, that will give them a pretty high baseline and make that 55-win mark attainable. But by the same token, you could also convince me that all these teams are just going to beat the crap out of each other for six or seven months. And the top of the West, the team that wins the West is going to have like 53 or 54 wins and the Rockets will land somewhere in the middle of that mix. So I wouldn't feel great betting against them, but I also wouldn't feel great betting on them. And that's kind of how I feel like the Clippers at 54 and a half. If Paul George is going to come back within the first month of the season and Kawhi is going to play most of the season, like of course the Clippers can hit the over there. But 
There's also all kinds of load management questions. And, um, you know, for, for all the reasons that we've outlined, like the interior defense, they need more depth at the guard spots. Like the Clippers could sort of plateau during the regular season and be much scarier in the playoffs. And so, like, that's another wild card. The one team in the West that I am feeling fairly confident in is the Los Angeles Lakers. No surprise there. Love the big market teams. Oh, boy. Let me guess. Over on the Celtics, over on the Lakers. Big shock. I think I am over on both the Celtics and the Lakers. And I was shorting Lakers stock very, very hard at this time last year. So it's not like I'm Mr. Laker or anything. But at 49 and a half... I think that they can get to 50, 51, 52 wins with Anthony Davis and LeBron James being healthy for most of the season. And um, that's the one team in that glut of kind of contenders at the top of the West that I see and feel pretty good about. Um, The other one is like the Warriors. I'm high on what's possible for them in the playoffs once Clay comes back. But, I mean, right now they are at 49 and a half, and I would probably take the under on that one. It's tricky. Um, so, first of all, I agree in general what you're saying about pretty much all these teams that are at the over 50 mark. It's like you, it's really easy to kind of talk yourself into the everybody beats up on everybody else factor. Like with Harden, for example, they won 53 last year. He had essentially perfect health for almost the fifth straight season. He had one injury during his uh, his MVP year. Uh, that knocked yeah. him out for like 10 games. But he averaged 36-7-8 last year. I mean, we, we shouldn't be taking that for granted. <laughs> and we probably didn't give that enough attention on this uh, show because we were like real wrapped up in the Giannis rise. I mean, those are absolutely obscene numbers. And he was out there every single night playing pretty big minutes. Um, yeah. So if, you, if the argument is let's bet against that because that wasn't enough to get over the 54.5 number and there's been a lot of changes around him and they tend to go through these like – uh, you know, uh, fits and starts as an organization where one month they look amazing and play better than everybody. And the next month they're getting off to a slow start. I mean, I, I don't know. I just don't see the consistency factor from Houston uh, coming through. Um, so I would go under with them. Uh, now the Warriors one is really interesting because it came out a lot lower than I expected. And remember the Spurs just kind of like grinded out 50 wins, no matter what year after year, didn't matter who the pieces were. They just had like that streak of 50 win seasons that went on forever. Um, yep. I think that to me, Golden State has so many of the same principles as those Spurs team did where like, uh, you know, even with the injury to clay, I mean the, the rest of the talent that's still there, even with the departure of Kevin Durant, uh, even with Andre Iguodala, uh, you know, not being there anymore. Sean Livingston. I mean, they're losing a lot of institutional knowledge, but they still have the like the core figures uh, that created their culture are all going to be there. Uh, mm-hmm. To me, that just like if you're going to draw the Spurs comparison with them, it should be that they're going to just find a way to get 50. We should just pencil them in as over 50, no matter what. If they've got an MVP candidate and Steph. Uh, you know, a high-level all-defense type guy in Draymond Green, they should be able to get to that number. That being said, I've been wrong on the Warriors going over for a couple seasons in a row. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, you have. <laughs> but uh, I think this is a little bit of a different year. Uh, obviously, well, the expect. I just wonder, have the expectations for them changed too much? And I actually think on that same point, like the Lakers, to me, they came out real hot, like in early July, being like considered a team that was... Uh, you know, going to be this championship favorite. They should be the favorites, like right up there with the Clippers. It seems like that has faded a little bit. And I was surprised, honestly, that their number was like significantly lower at 49.5 than say the Clippers at 54.5. Like that seems like um, less optimism 
on behalf of the Lakers than we usually see. Yeah, there's no question about it. And that, to me, means that Vegas is even lower on the Lakers because the Lakers are generally like a public team whose win total will be inflated by two or three wins every single season. And so maybe Vegas sees them at like 46 or 47, and and they've been bet up to 49 and a half. Um, Honestly, I have no idea how any of this odds making works, but uh, no, you're handing out five star locks. Keep it going. I think you're right. I mean, like to me, (laughs) to me, I think that uh, I always, you know, subtract like three or four wins from that number just because of the Lakers fans bounce. Uh, Yeah. But this year, if you do that, you get to a number that feels a lot more attainable if you have both LeBron and AD, right? Right. And I just feel like th- there has been an overcorrection on the Lakers front and they will be able to to make it to that sort of low 50s zone where they're going to finish third or fourth in the West and be in good shape headed into the playoffs. The Warriors, it's funny, man. Hearing you lay out the case, I agree with every point you made. And I think that my skepticism is born out of... Uh, Fear of jinxing things for Golden State because well, hey, I wait, wait, wait! Even, you, you've already picked what? them to win the title, so how can you be? A, <laughs> <laughs> they're going to win forty-two games in the title. That's that's how you that, see it. Well, no, that's my issue. I am going to be so insufferable and so high on the Warriors come October that I don't want to put the cart before the horse and start talking about everything that they're going to do during the regular season because, really, for me. It's all about what's possible for them once they get to the playoffs. So I don't want to get too high on them like tearing through the West and finishing with the second best record in the West or something like that. Uh, so I'm going to let you do that. I do agree with every point you made, and I think that Steph could go and have a killer year next season to kind of hold it all together. Draymond has a lot to prove as well, and I think he'll be able to bounce back from some of the numbers he put up a year ago. Um, I'm excited. I just don't want to jinx it. Uh, speaking of jinxing things though, Ben, I'm not ready to unleash my bet your mortgage lock of the 2019, 2020 season. But as I look at the wins totals for next year, the one number that really does jump out at me and you're going to get upset Chicago bulls at 33 and a half wins. They can definitely clear 33 and a half wins. Do you agree with me? I thought you said it was going to be 42. I mean, like you, you picked a big, big number for these guys. <laughs> so like, yeah, you should be putting uh, you know, this into your category. But just to for clarification's sake, how are you betting your mortgage if you've already lost it the last two years? Are you buying it back from the bank or where's this mortgage? Have you gotten a new house? Have you downsized? Which mortgage are we talking about here? Well, yes, I am on my third home. I'm currently living under a bridge of a little piece of property in Georgetown. Um, But uh, no, I can't, I couldn't remember what the bet your mortgage lock was last year because I know I went hard on the Sixers under and I believe that paid out. I was also high on the Celtics over which really, really did not end well. Uh, Yeah, that that was the one that uh, I was referring to. But yeah, you did bet, you guaranteed two picks and you went one-on-one, which, you know, hey, so I guess you do still have your mortgage after all. Break even, we'll take it. You know what I'm I'm saying? Uh, What do you think of the Bulls though? Well, I think that 33.5 is a lot more reasonable than the number that you were trying to describe. But when I look at um, their roster, I mean, I, I still think that, their offense isn't going to be good enough. I think they had a lot of big-time troubles. I know you love Tomas. 
I'm not sure he solves all those issues. I think it's going to be exciting to see Wendell Carter in year two, but it spooked me that he gets injured before he even makes his comeback, right? Like that is not the, you know, the way you want a, a young, uh, young big, especially the way you want his career to start. Um, yeah. I think I'm just lower on basically every single one of their players than you are. You think Lowry's Dirk, you think Zach Levine's actually a good player, and I don't. And so <laughs> I don't know if I, <laughs> I, I mean, there's going to be a lot of wins available in the Eastern Conference. Like there is no question That's about that. That's my thinking with, with Chicago. And ultimately, I think next season for the Bulls is going to be really interesting in large part because they've plucked the kind of solid veterans that will give those young guys a chance to win. And the Bulls are now going to find out how good Lowry Markkinen really is, how valuable Zach Levine can be to a winning team, and you know what they really have with Wendell well, Carter look, and even with Kobe White. Don't we know so, at least some of those though? I mean, are we really still sitting around waiting on Zach Levine? Like we've been, and like I'll be honest, like I definitely was higher like than say like on Andrew Wiggins. I was higher on him than most people were, especially early. But I can't yeah. still like make the case straight face that we're just sitting around waiting for answers on Andrew Wiggins. <laughs> but you can't say we're waiting for answers on uh, Zach Levine. That ignores four years of evidence about the answers he's given us. Listen, I'm willing to give him the slightest benefit of the doubt headed into next season, in large part because he has been surrounded by trash for the majority of his career. And had he been with a team, like if you put Zach Levine in Utah, how different do you think the conversation would be right now if he were playing with a functional team defense where his only job was to score? How differently would we talk about him? Well, he'd probably be playing what fourteen minutes a game. I mean, let's be- <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> because he would be attacked by Quinn Snyder every two weeks and yeah. be marginalized. I yeah, mean, that, would- that's a fair read as well. Like, I mean, I think that he would have already had to have that kind of come to Jesus moment. We've already been what we've all been waiting for, where it's like, look, man, you've got to do better defensively or you just don't get to play, right? And I think that um, he somehow managed to escape that, I think in part because of the trade and the low expectations there in Chicago. I guess if you want to make an argument on behalf of Boylan, it was like the only way this was ever going to work is if he did like knock some sense into some of these guys who just don't guard anyone and, you know, hope that it turns around. I just still haven't seen the progress there, um, you know, on that front. I'm not sure. I mean, maybe you just need to get on the Thaddeus Young bandwagon when you're making this argument, because I think that guy actually does contribute to wins in a big time way. I think he can uh, help their young players along sort of like bigger picture. Uh, But if if you're aiming for like uninspiring competence, right, which is sort of like that 34 win (laughs) zone. Right. That's that's sort of the Thaddeus Young model. I mean, maybe he can carry these guys. The scary thing to me, though, is after kind of like dogging out Zach Levine a, a little bit here. I mean, he is like right in that D'Angelo Russell uh, bread basket where like when it comes time for the Eastern Conference all-star injury reserve picks and like Zach's averaging like 22 a game and nobody's looking at his advanced stats and they're trying to talk themselves into the Bulls. It's like this upstart team. They've built some positive momentum. Like, is there a way he sneaks on to next year's all-star team? That's what I'm asking. There's no question there's a path for oh, him to the All-Star God. game. And that look, would be worse than D'Angelo. Clear path. That would <laughs> there's be... a clear path to 38 wins for the Chicago Bulls. That's my only argument on this podcast. And they are very close to uh, winning or, I guess, losing the sweepstakes for my Bet Your Mortgage lock of the 2019-20 season. Um, keeping it moving though, I have another favorite player and another team that is pretty intriguing 
What do you think of the Hawks at 33 and a half wins? I, I, the, the bar is pretty low, but I feel like they can maybe clear that. I definitely looked at that one for a lot of the same arguments you're making about Chicago, where it's like, look, they've they've shown some progress. They've got some young players who should take steps forward. I like the, the fact that the Hawks have a clear identity and they have a, a clear leader and a clear, you know, uh, I think it, his ceiling is as an elite playmaking ball handler with Trey Young. Um, yeah. Obviously, the defensive stuff there concerns me too, but I think he impacts his team's offense in, in such better ways uh, than a lot of these, you know, other young guards who I, I tend to be, you know, pretty hard on. Um, they just kind of seem like that classic team to me where the internet is just one year too early on ready to kind of like crowning them and, and having them take the next step. And we're like, maybe, you know, next year they're actually at a pretty similar total to their 29 wins from last year. But then the following year, they take a big jump forward. I think that would be my one hesitation with them. But, um, I, I mean, I love their direction, you know, in terms of these teams that have just really struggled in the Eastern conference, I think that they've got a clear leg up on a lot of those other squads, whether it's Charlotte, Chicago, and everything else, because they've got the lead ball handler, which I think at this point is, you know, pretty much the the most important uh, role to fill. Yeah, it was pretty funny last season as I was writing Trey Young hype pieces, like in every roundtable we did at Sports Illustrated, I would throw out the Hawks as like a team to watch, and I would throw out Trey Young as like the other rookie that we need to be talking about, and I would go through. In my mind, like watching League Pass every week, it felt like the Hawks were winning games and were competing with everyone they played. To some degree, that was true. But then I would also go back and look at the numbers and be like, wait, they're only at 26 wins? Like, it feels like they've been doing a little bit better than that. And so I think you're right to, to be skeptical about when that leap will actually come. Uh, they will be fun, but I would stay away from that 33 and a half number for, for that reason. The other teams that I marked here were the Boston Celtics at 49 and a half. I do think that they can hit 50 wins. I think that there is more talent on the wings than we have acknowledged as you have been snickering at their possibilities next season. If Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum can take a step forward, I mean, look, it's a huge test for for who Tatum is going to be and who Jalen Brown is going to be next season. But I think if they can kind of like pass that test and give the Celtics even a B-plus version of the players that Boston is hoping those guys become, the Celtics can be really tough in the East. And this is like exactly the type of overachieving team that Brad Stevens was born to coach. Um, and I, for that reason, I would go over on, on Boston's side. Do you have any thoughts there? Yeah, the cute story sequel. Here we go. Congratulations. Those overachieving <laughs> Celtics. I think the, the biggest concern to me is that I think a lot of their regular season success, the steadiness has been driven by elite defenses these last couple of years. And yeah. not only do you lose Horford, but you also lose Baines, right? And so, and, and on top of that, the replacements defensively, the guys who are actually going to have to play big minutes at the four and five for them, uh, they also lose Morris as well, are question marks to me. I think it's just going to be a totally different identity type team. I think that people just see the headline and they say, oh, Kyrie out, Kemba in. Let's just kind of keep this thing rolling going forward. And I don't think it's going to be that simple for them. I think they're going to look different. And I'm you know, pretty nervous about where their defense winds up landing. And I think that that will cut into their regular season total. Now, I also do have a decent amount of faith in Brad Stevens. I mean, he's shown the, the consistent ability to get you know right around 50 wins year after year after year. But I would not be banging the over on this one. Um, 
uh, at all. You know, I would I would be <laughs> staying away. Uh, you know, at the at the very least, I also expect a good season from Tatum. I think Brown. I think a lot of these guys are going to play better without Kyrie, and uh, that's not a big surprise to you. I just yeah. think that they have a huge hole in the middle that they have not addressed. They might be able to address it, you know, the deadline or whatever else, but um, we should not be understating the impact of their interior changes. I guess that's my point. Hey guys, what's up? This is Ben Golliver with a message from Mattress Firm. The only thing better than watching your team win is a perfect nap. And Mattress Firm's President's Day sale lets you get a king mattress for a queen price or a queen mattress for a twin price for savings of up to $600. And you can take home a free adjustable base with a qualifying purchase. But you have to hurry. The clock is ticking on this sale. It's ending soon. Isn't it time you saved and slept like a champion? Shop now. Mattressfirm.com. Mattressfirm.com for the President's Day sale. That's very fair. I I just if it were just Kemba for Kyrie, I would peg them to be at like forty six wins. But I think if you factor in um, a leap with Jalen and Tatum that was supposed to happen last year, that's where you can start to sell me on them in the low fifties, finishing third in the East. The ultimate cute story, a team that you will refuse to take seriously for nine straight months, and you will ultimately probably be proven right in the end. But uh, you can still make some money if you bet that over. Uh, the so other, I, team... I have two other boring ones for you though, and they're. I mean, I just think these are like ways to make money. Memphis twenty six point five. You know, look, I don't think there's anybody higher on Jaron and Ja than myself. I think I I <laughs> founded the Jaron Jackson Junior Fan Club, and I'm all in on Ja, even though he didn't even play at summer league. I spent yep. you know hours of my life documenting his pregame shooting and and one on one games against guys. I think that they have a phenomenal chemistry. I think the ceiling for those two guys together is sky high. Um, I don't see how they're winning 26.5 games, especially in the Western Conference at all. I mean, if you look at some of the people that they're going to be relying on, uh, you know, Dylan Brooks, uh, Kyle Anderson, Josh Jackson. I mean, some of these guys, it's just like, what? And I also think that they're going to be motivated not to win games down the stretch because of you know they owe their pick and so maybe they're going to try to like play games there to keep their pick uh next season and to me there's just not nearly enough talent on hand uh i think john moran's going to have some incredible flashes as, as a rookie but he's also going to be committing turnovers like crazy he's going to be getting abused on defense i mean that just happens for guys his age um and his size i still think he needs to fill out a little bit physically and then jaron's coming off an injury uh, as well. So, you know, you throw the, all that together, I think it's going to be like a league pass darling type team where they have just some highlight plays, which is like make you, you know, drop your jaw, like slap your forehead. You can't believe what you're watching. But I think night in, night out, it's going to be a pretty painful season of, you know, bumps and bruises for them. And I just think that that under bet is maybe the best one that's out there. Yeah. I would also say, just in general, as a rule, Always take the under with any team that is starting a rookie point guard, which it sounds like the Grizzlies are going to do with Ja Morant. Um, along those lines, the the Suns are not starting a rookie point guard, but are another team that I saw as a potential under bet. And I did think to myself, like, how much money could you have made if you took the under on the Suns' wins total every year for the past like eight or nine seasons? Uh, do you think there's any way they get to 30 wins in the West? Their number is 20, 29 and a half. Um, 
Well, I, I guess like I, I mean, if if Devin Booker winds up like leading the league in scoring, Monty Williams completely transforms their culture. DeAndre Ayton turns out to be a good player rather than the guy who I've kind of said he was, you know, for the last twelve months. By the way, I still can't believe that you justify Ayton at the number one pick. Have you moved off that island yet or not? It, I listen. <laughs> It was my job as a Sports Illustrated magazine writer to go profile DeAndre Aiden. I came away really liking him. I couldn't come out of that piece being like, no way you should take this guy number one. I do, I, look, J- uh, Jaron Jackson, midway through last season, I was, I was all aboard the bandwagon with him and him being the best player to come out of last year's draft class. I still think that's how this is going to shake out. A lot of people are aboard the Luka hype train. I would side with Jaron on that one. I am not going to be caping for DeAndre Ayton anytime soon. That's one where, like, let's wait and see. I could see him having a career more along the lines of, like, an Andre Drummond than, um, you know, than, like, an Anthony Davis, like, real franchise cornerstone big man. Okay, but you didn't even mention Trey Young, who I thought was your favorite guy in the draft. I mean, if you could do it right now, gun to your head, Aiden for Trey Young or Aiden for Jaron or Aiden for Doncic, would you do all three of those trades? Ooh, Aiden for Trey Young, if you're Phoenix, is a tougher sell, I think. Uh, I think you got to do it. I mean, come on. Yeah, maybe. I, I would definitely do Aiden for Doncic and Aiden for Jaron. Uh, that that I can definitely commit to. Okay. And I, I love Trey Young. The deal that the Hawks made was so clearly a win to me on draft night because I think Trey and Luca are going to have similar upsides, and then the Hawks were able to to basically solidify the wings with the pick they got this year. Um, so that that to me was my my take on the draft was like everyone's killing the Hawks for this deal, but it was a smart play if they really liked and believed in Trey Young. Yeah, I mean that sounded like three yeses. So I should probably just start to test his <laughs> I'm gonna test his floor here. What about Aiden for Mo Bamba, Aiden for Grayson Allen? Like how how low oh, are we going here? Mo Aiden, Bamba. Aiden for Man. Anthony Simons. What do you think? It kills me that the the magic landed Mo Bamba because the the mix they have is actually pretty solid. And if they had been able to nail that pick, they would be a lot more exciting going forward. Um, (laughs) Aiden for Grayson Allen. That's tough. Uh, Look, I'm not as low on him as you seem to be. I'm just choking on those last ones. I just think it's a bad sign when a year in the guy had very good numbers. I mean, obviously empty stats, 16 and 10 but we're already ready to trade him for at least three of his fellow top five picks. I mean, that seems like a red flag. That would make me nervous about their over-under number for sure. I don't, part of me just kind of like trusts Monty. Like, I don't know how many wins he's worth, but he's a really good coach and a really good guy, and he will get max effort from players who haven't had somebody to really like connect with them for years. Now, the question is how much talent is really there? You know how I feel about Booker. I'm, I'm probably on the more pessimistic side for him than most people. I did like that Ricky Rubio move for them. All right. I mean, I think that he is the type of guy who you want to pair with Booker where, uh, you know, he, he can handle the tough defensive responsibilities. He's not going to dominate the ball like crazy, but he can still kind of facilitate the offense. I guess a fairly good fit there, but I mean, their threes and fours and fives to me are just pretty rough. And I didn't like almost any move they made this summer. I probably would have been 
uh, you know, selling on, I just wouldn't have done it. Like if they had said, yeah. Hey, you're our consultant. Like, what do you think of Cam Johnson? I would have said, no. Like, what do you think about like <laughs> all these, you know, crazy moves to like, make sure we can keep Kelly Oubre. I would have been like, no, uh, the Dario Sarge trade probably would have been a no. Um, so yeah, like, I, I guess I'm talking myself into the under here pretty quickly. You mentioned Orlando yeah. though, real quick. That was one of the other teams what? I wanted to mention because they're also boring and no one will probably bet on them. But I think their number is at what, like forty one point five. Uh huh. To me, that seems like a pretty good over pick, right? I mean, they've got the continuity factor. I think the one concern is like Vucevic is coming off the contract year in the career year, so maybe he like comes back to earth a little bit. But they had a lot of young players last year. They've kind of put it together down the stretch, uh, the second half of the season. Um, they were getting all sorts of like unnecessarily optimistic praise from the Toronto Raptors during the first round about, oh, this is such a tough team. You know, like they really laid it on thick there. So there's probably some truth to that. I think, yeah. uh, you know, Clifford's good at sort of maximizing, you know, squeezing all the uh, lemonade out of the lemons. Um, and I think just from that standpoint, you know, they didn't really lose anything. And a bunch of these, there's going to be more wins on the table. Um, they proved they could be competent last year. I just think that they're probably going to be uh, you know, a pretty who cares type, you know, five or six seed in the Eastern Conference. But I think that should be enough to get them over that number. Yeah. I mean, look, almost every basketball opinion I have is closely correlated to how I felt about guys in the draft. And I was a big Jonathan Isaac believer like three years ago. And he looked pretty intriguing down the stretch last season. So for that reason, I'm willing to believe in them, I guess, at, as like a bottom of the east playoff team the thing i worry about is like how much more magic does dj augustine really have you know what i mean i feel like the clock might strike midnight on that one and um this is actually a team the type of team where like a d'angelo russell or zach levine like a bucket getter can be really valuable because they have the defensive foundation they just need somebody who can actually kind of score and be that spark plug um but uh, I'm with you that like 41 and a half is, is very doable for them. Well, hey, that's what so, isn't that what Markel Fultz's job is going to be? That bucket getting? Oh, my God. That's right. I forgot that Markel <laughs> well, Fultz is there. Well, what's the over-under on games that Fultz plays? 7.5. What do you think? Uh, I'm going to give him 41 and a half as well. And I will take the over because wow. I'm an optimist. And it is the middle of the summer. And there's reason to believe in literally everyone in the NBA right now. So I'll stick with that. A couple more at the end. By the way, we've gotten more mileage out of this than I ever expected. Um, well, yeah, Miami, because this is a topic where it's like literally talk about any team in the league for as long as you want. <laughs> it's solid. It's really solid. Uh, the Heat at 43 and a half, I would go over. Blazers at 46 and a half, possibly my hottest take. I would go under. Spurs at 46 and a half, I would go over because they're the Spurs. And again, going back to the draft, I'm a DeJounte Murray believer. I think he's going to be solid. And Lonnie Walker has also shown some flashes if you're willing to watch like G League highlights and Summer League highlights. Um, and then uh, Brooklyn at 44 and a half is probably a little bit lower than it should be. And I, I would maybe bet on them to, to win, like, let's say 47 games. Uh, I know I'm bringing up all these boring teams. What do you think about Indiana at 47? Like, their their core group now is Brogdon, Oladipo when he comes back, TJ Warren, DeMontis Sabonis, Miles Turner, 
And then they've got like TJ McConnell, Doug McDermott. I don't, why is there so much respect for Indiana? I didn't understand it. Yeah. I had to look up how many games they won last season. They won 48. And I would imagine they're going to be without Oladipo until like December or January this season. And a lot of the teams the Pacers were beating last year were losing teams, which granted, like they are probably going to be able to do that again in this year's East. But um, But didn't they like overachieve? Like, didn't they pretty much max out on overachieving last year? And they they lose that ESPN, they lose Bogdanovich, who I think are both pretty big drivers of their success. Um, I would go under on Indiana. I'm just handing out five Mm. stars right now. Yeah, you know what? That might be another candidate for the bet your mortgage lock. I, I think Indiana will probably be in sixth sixth or seventh place this year, but um, 47 wins feels a little ambitious for them. One more, uh, a question from Corey. He says, why is Sharp purposely choosing to be against the Pelicans already? Mm. Darius Garland played only a half a game in college. You have no clue what he's going to be in the NBA. Plus, the Pels have dealt with too many injured players through the past. Also, Jackson Hayes got a Nike deal. So there you go. One Pelicans big man signed with Nike. Lastly, I'm predicting they'll win 45 games and be the sixth seed right behind the Lakers, who will be the fifth seed with 47 wins. Ben, I include that question for two reasons. One, I am going under on the Pelicans at 39 and a half. Two, your defense of Zion signing with Jordan Brand is one of your worst takes of the summer. Mm. So I'm going to give you the floor to speak on which, any, any aspect of this question, but particularly the Jordan Brand defense. What was so bad about it? I mean, besides just being completely rational and logical, I mean, I think that you really went off the deep end last week. You're trying to double, no, no, you're no. Trying to ju- double down <laughs> and normalize it. I heard from constant people who are like, you know, I'm not sure you need to change your co-host, but you need to like change your co-host. You know, they're like wanting me to like well, sit you down and like have a conversation with you to sort of like explain life to you. And like, I, I'm not going to do that because I'm not over the top type of person like that. I, I want you to be you. <laughs> but uh, come on now. You were calling out my style sense for pointing out that Jordan Brand has not released a cool sneaker in basically a decade here. Uh, And now Zion is going to be playing in like the modern era's equivalent of masterpiece sneakers for the first half of his NBA career. It's a tragedy all around. And not only are you not acknowledging the tragedy, but you're calling my judgment into question. It feels like a personal attack. Well, it is a personal attack, Andrew, because when you sit down with the Jordan people, you like to pretend like you're buddy-buddy with them. You sell me out in these meetings in New York City. You tell them I I was trying to vote for Harden during the MVP race and all this. Like You have one story for them, and you come on the podcast and tell a completely different story. And, oh, we're just a greased pig, so there's no integrity to our opinions anymore. Okay, I get that. But let's be real. Jordan's got the best gear out there for basketball. They always have. They always will. I'm just glad they got one of the brightest young stars to sign up with them. It's time for a new era. I have admitted the last couple of years haven't been the best. But the tricky part with Zion is he's going to need some tanks, right? He's going to need some like custom attention from the designers. He's not going to be moving crazy number of sneakers. And so it's less about, um, okay, how, how can Jordan you know, turn this into the next hot sneaker. It's more about, okay, let's put Nike's very best people 
on Zion to get him the absolute best performance shoe and then use him as the marketing face of a company to sell apparel and all that other stuff. I think it's a good fit. Uh, Don't you think he fits with their aesthetic in terms of like overwhelming athleticism? Uh, I mean, that's that's sort of what they've been about, even with the Westbrook. I think there's a pretty clear through line between Jordan, Westbrook, and Zion. Can't you see that? Yeah. I mean, maybe. I, I, I can't quite get there. I do hope good things happen to Zion, and I hope that I'm proven wrong, and, and he look, has an awesome shoe And here's a the thing. Years. Like, in terms of your personal style, you wear Adidas in public, man. Like, I don't know what else I'm supposed to say. <laughs> like, what? Like, and it's fine. Like, it works for you, but come on. Of course I'm going to judge you for that. Yeah, you know, the Adidas Boost is just a great shoe, uh, whatever their running shoe is called. I made the switch to those like about a year and a half ago, and it was the first time in my entire life that I've deviated from look, Nike. I'm just but saying, look they at, do a good job. Look at the Donovan Mitchell sneakers that they put out. Do you want that for Zion? Right? Who, who, look, who, who do you really trust with these sneakers? And how long did it take Nike basketball to get it right with Giannis, first of all, but also with Kevin's sneakers? Or with LeBron sneakers. Like, it was a very slow delay. I'm just saying there's no sure bets on the table. I think Jordan's got the best brand image. It's got the highest ceiling for Zion. If they get it right, it will be the coolest. I think that's pretty defensible opinion. I don't know what to tell you. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. I'm not going to argue with you because we've gone on too long. I will say that um, I'm willing to forgive the garland miscarriage of justice oh double down on that one i think Corey's right you're purposely (laughs) choosing to be against the pelicans i think you just need to own that lane i don't know because i'm gonna want to root for the pelicans that's my issue i don't want to be mr anti-pelicans guy and if they do go over on 39 and a half that means that my guy my nephew brandon ingram will have had a huge season in new orleans which I do think is on the table for him. Um, I think their ceiling next season is pretty much going to hinge on like what Ingram is able to do away from Los Angeles. And uh, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. If you if you put a gun to my head, though, I would go under on 39.5. I think Zion may be a little bit further away um, from like becoming one of those like impact guys who really affects winning. But with that, Ben, uh, we have one more team to talk about. But first... Today's show is brought to us by Raycon. It is 2019 and everyone needs a great pair of wireless earbuds. But before you guys go dropping hundreds of dollars on a pair, you need to check out the wireless earbuds from Raycon. Raycon recently sent me a pair of wireless earbuds and they've been awesome to work out with. They've been great for traveling. You guys should all check them out. They are a real game changer. Raycon earbuds started about half the price of any other premium wireless earbuds on the market, and they sound just as incredible. The company was actually co-founded by Ray J, and celebrities like Snoop Dogg, Cardi B, Melissa Etheridge, Brandy, and J.R. Smith are already obsessed. Our dream team, Ben. Tell me a little bit more about Raycon. Raycon's E50 wireless earbuds have totally changed the game for me. They're so comfortable and so easy to take anywhere. Unlike some of your other wireless options, Raycon earbuds are both stylish and discreet with no dangling wires or stems. There's nothing less cool than dangling wires. Get those out of your life. And of course, Raycon's E50 wireless earbuds don't just look great. They sound great too. 
Raycon offers their wireless earbuds for everyone in a range of fun colors at an unbeatable price. Go to buyraycon.com slash floor to get 20% off your order. That's buyraycon.com slash floor for 20% off Raycon wireless earbuds. If you've been eyeing a pair, now is the time to get an amazing deal. One more time, buyraycon.com slash floor. All right, and let's get back into it. We've got a question from Tanner who says, Hey guys, I'm a big jazz fan here, and I'm having a hard time understanding why you guys seem to like the Nuggets substantially more than the Jazz. In my opinion, the Jazz are better at every single position. Conley is better than Murray. Donovan Mitchell is better than Gary Harris. Joe Ingles is better than Will Barton. Bogdanovich is better than Millsap because Millsap is old now. And yes, I'm biased, but in a vacuum, Jokic may be better than Gobert, but if you look at their numbers when the teams play each other, Gobert tends to dominate that matchup. And am I crazy to think the Jazz have a real shot at the title this year and are definitely better than than the Nuggets? What do you think, Ben? Well, he's not crazy to think that they are, you know, have a chance to be better than Nuggets or win a title. I mean, I think that's in play for them. They're one of many teams I would put in this title conversation, and their ceiling, I think, is very, very high as a team. I think that his logic is fundamentally flawed, though, because, Tanner, you should know this better than everybody. If you have a premier playmaker, he makes everyone around him better. So if you go down and say this player versus this player, position by position, you're missing the picture, right? I'm talking about John Stockton. You understand if you went down 1 to 12 those Jazz rosters, you'd get to some guys pretty quickly who you're like, wait a minute, these guys are worthless. They're bums. What did Stockton do? Elevate their game, turn them into an entire team. He made Carl Malone the mailman. Uh, there was no delivering happening if not for John Stockton. And I think that that's a similar thing that's going on right now with the Denver Nuggets. It's the Jokic effect. Every single one of these guys is better than he looks on paper because he benefits from playing with Jokic, setting him up, and Jokic's leadership ability. So I don't think it's the right way to judge the Nuggets player by player. I think that there's strong arguments being made both ways, though, for either one of these teams. If you want to be a, uh, an optimist on the Jazz, I can definitely see it. Very high regular season win total. They've got some depth. The, the starting lineup fits very, very well. They address their biggest weaknesses. They've got years of you know, proven, uh, you know, winning uh, under their belts already. They've got a great head coach, a very smart head coach. They take the right kinds of shots and they've got some guys who can definitely take another step up in their careers. Uh, you know, especially Donovan Mitchell, who I think is really going to benefit from Mike Conley at the, mm-hmm. at the same time, I can make a really, uh, optimistic argument for Denver, incredible home court advantage, Jokic MVP type candidate, um, lots of well-fitting pieces around him could have the best offense in the league next year. Like the league goes, uh, the, the list goes on and on and on, right? Ultimately, it'll probably come down to health. The difference between these two teams, uh, maybe you could say, uh, Utah's a little bit, uh, you know, better prepared to withstand injuries. Um, but I'm not sure that we are way higher on Denver. I think he kind of mischaracterized that. I think it was more just that, we saw the internet falling in love with Utah bending over backwards. And I think we were just trying to point out like, hey, Denver didn't make as many, uh, you know, kind of headline type moves this summer. Um, yeah. But they're they're still comparable or on that same type of tier as a team like Utah, even though they're not getting any attention. Yeah, I agree with all of that. I, I, the one thing I would add is that um, Denver's depth is probably better than what Utah will be bringing to the table next season. You look at their bench, they've got Ed Davis, the internet's favorite backup big, 
They've got Jeff Green, who I actually saw while I was jogging through D.C. the other oh, day. That's a he big, was going to work out. That's a big pickup. If you know him personally, that's great. <laughs> yeah, he was going to work out at a local elementary school. Um, so he's getting in that work, getting ready for Salt Lake life. Uh, and then they've got like Royce O'Neal, who is actually pretty useful, but could be less so in the playoffs. I like Denver's bench with Monty Morris and Malik Beasley a lot. I may be a little bit too high on those guys. I think you're right, though, that ultimately the difference between these two teams is going to be decided, A, by health, that's the most likely outcome, and B, by uh, the progress made by Donovan Mitchell and and Jamal Murray. Because if Jamal Murray can really take a step forward and become like kind of a fringe all-star type guy, or even like slightly less than that and just average like 21 points a game, five or six assists for that offense and just become a little bit more consistent than the guy he was yesterday. The Nuggets can be really, really good offensively and um, and good enough to give to create problems for any team they're going to be dealing with in the West. By the same token, if Mitchell can kind of like smooth out the edges with his game and and hopefully he'll have to shoulder less of a burden than he's had to over the past few years. I mean, the Jazz do grade out pretty favorably in uh, in most of the matchups in the West. A lot's going to depend on what Gobert can do in the playoffs. But I think, if anything, the, the blind spot for you and I, we may have overcorrected and forgot to look at this team as like a real threat in the West because they're going to be as balanced as just about anyone in the West. And, um, and I think like there is reason if you're, if you live in Salt Lake city to look at next season as like a real title shot. Well, it's their most promising season in a long, long time. Uh, I don't think there's any question about it. I just look at their three and four spots, who guards Kawhi, who guards Paul George, who guards LeBron, who guards Anthony Davis. And I think that those are huge questions for them. And so I, I could see them winning the West, uh, seating and then, in the playoffs, I think it could get a little bit dicier for them, but I think Quinn's yeah. definitely one of the most underrated coaches. You know, one other bench guy for Denver who you didn't mention is Michael Porter Jr. And it's like the intrigue only ramped up because he got injured again and missed summer league. But like, if he hadn't, right. if that hadn't happened, like, could he have been like summer league MVP? Like, that seems very possible, right? I mean, given that he, I, I, he was going into his second know. year. I mean, Nuggets Internet talks about Michael Porter Jr. like he is the next Tracy McGrady or something, just like waiting to be unleashed on the league. I would like to see him play actual basketball games before we talk about him in those terms. I think like maybe he can help them. He's a guy that I was not real high on in the draft. Uh, But look, like everyone who talks about him in Denver every week there's a new leak about like how impressive he's looked um there was one video earlier this summer where like people were flipping out at his highlights and it it, like all i saw were just like kind of regular dunks and he didn't seem to look that explosive but there's no question that like if he can give them something off the bench not only for next season but that would change the next couple seasons in denver uh because i think that's that's their the the area where they have like the highest upside is if if Porter Jr. can become like 
a star level guy, then the Nuggets, the, the next decade gets pretty exciting. Yeah, I'm just saying, like, if he's like their ninth or 10th or 11th guy, like, that seems like a pretty interesting type player, you know? And I understand, like, the natural inclination to overhype, you know, oh, he fell into our lap. Oh, everybody's forgotten about him for a year. Now he's going to, like, take the league by storm. I'm not saying that. I just think, like, he could give them really, really good minutes, and he's probably not being discussed very much just because he's been off the radar for a couple of years. Um, yeah, I, I think I'm going to have to wait to really come, you know, decide where I'm going to come down on these two teams. I, I think my initial leaning would be Utah winning more, uh, regular season games. Um, but I think that they should both be viewed in like, you know, the, the top two tiers of the West. Okay. I'm with you. Um, keeping it moving rapid fire toward the end here. Senator Batman says, I feel like Anthony Davis needs a new nickname to go with the L.A. era of his career. Uh, so now that he's wearing number three, it should be the big three or just big three. Oof. I don't know, man. Good news. Look, Good Senator- news. Senator Batman, you have had to resign in disgrace. That is a terrible nickname, man. I'm not even trying to hate <laughs> on you because you've been one of our loyal, if not our most loyal uh, listeners for years and years. But come on, bro. I don't know. Here's the thing. I don't know if it's Senator Batman's fault. I think what we're going to potentially find out with this era of AD's career is that the problem was not New Orleans. The problem was not, you know, the rosters he was dealing with and whatever. Like, the reason he's not famous is because he's just not that cool and not that interesting. So I don't know if any nickname is necessarily going to solve that well, problem. Well, guess what, I Andrew? Think, I've got the perfect what? nickname for him. I agree with your problem, uh, with, with your analysis here, but look, that doesn't prevent him from getting a great nickname. I'm here to okay. solve it. Are you ready? Hit me. Anthony Davis is the pawn. Now, obviously, there's a chess analogy here between LeBron James the King and Anthony Davis the Pawn. Now, we know how Rich Paul and LeBron <laughs> kind of manipulated Anthony Davis. So there's sort of like that, you know, uh, just primary definition. But also think about this, Andrew. Right. If you look at the, the way his career has unfolded, um, you know, pawns in chess, it's a high attrition position, right? They often go out early. They're they're basically, they're in the early battles. And if you look at Davis and the Pelicans, I mean, that's not really regularly a playoff team. They're always kind of going out a little bit too early. He's getting sacrificed, yeah. you know, out of the playoff picture regularly. However, if you're patient with the pawns, if you wait until the end game, if they can make that long journey all the way down the chessboard, that long and patient journey to Los Angeles and into the playoffs, the pawns can actually become the most powerful piece in the game because they can transform into anything. It's stunning versatility, Andrew. If you can just make it down to the end of the board, he could become a queen, <laughs> could be a rook, he could be a horse, he could be a bishop, whatever you want Anthony Davis to be. And we know he's a versatile talent. He's got you know defensive player of the year capability, MVP capability. He can play multiple positions. He can step out and defend on the perimeter. He's got that pawn-like versatility. And then this could be the takeover because ultimately, right, like, uh, you're going to need in chess to win. You need more than the king, right? Like you need these other pieces to go out there and, and capture the other team's king to, to knock the other team off. And that's going to require Anthony Davis stepping up in a big time way, just like a pawn reaching the end of the board. So look, I've tortured this metaphor to death, but I'm telling no, no, you, no. there is not a better nickname in the world. I realize there's shades of the servant for Kevin Durant here, but Anthony Davis <laughs> is the pawn. That's his nickname. Listen, man. Here's what I will say, okay? 
I am willing to endorse you as a potential consultant to the Phoenix Suns with every offseason move they're going to make. But you have just flunked your audition as a potential consultant to superstars of the world looking to manage their own brand. The Pawn would be the most demeaning (laughs) nickname in NBA history, okay? I don't understand. First of all, I don't have the attention span to stick around for like minute 45 of the chess game where the Pawns can turn into Queens or whatever, so... That part of it is maybe more lost on me than it would be on others. But really, the most popular and probably the most accurate interpretation of the Pawn nickname would be uh, the first definition that you laid out where he's kind of like caught in the web of Rich Paul and LeBron and, and everybody I'm just else. saying, when, when LeBron James is firing up NBA 2K and he's like tagging Anthony Davis on Instagram, hey man, just practicing, and like the video is like 2K <laughs> LeBron throwing an alley-oop to Anthony Davis, and you know Anthony Davis is watching it on his phone just like so happy. You don't think the pawn yeah. nickname fits that scenario pretty much like a glove? I don't, I, but I'm glad you threw it out so that you could be officially fired. Your resume <laughs> is removed from the stack uh, that is currently on Rich Paul's desk. You have a lot and, of chess fans um, who listen. I'm sure they're with me. I'm sure that they can see this bigger <laughs> picture. Look, okay. They recognize the virtue of the pawn. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe I'm not the intended audience. Um, but the eight, moving on, the eight by the eight board we call life. He is the pawn. All right, it's gonna <laughs> stick. I'm gonna make it stick, Andrew. You know that I've got a lot of meme ability. Okay, like I. I, you know, I, I can one, I can see these things through with the power of my will. You know, I've made uh, you know Captain Accountability. Uh, I've made all sorts of different uh, slogans on this podcast. I will make the pawn stick. Yep, Officer Golliver definitely knows what's cool. If that's one thing we've learned this off season. <laughs> uh, speaking of what's cool, Kevin asks: Are the Clippers really going to ignore the fact that their branding and jerseys? look like the work of a lazy first-year design student, are they really going to head into next season with these same threads? Ben, you're on the ground in Los Angeles. What's the vibe like? Because I'm on the East Coast thinking back to the golden era of Clippers teams, which for me was Lamar Odom, Darius Miles, Quentin Richardson, back when the Clippers were sort of like they were actually cool for a couple years there. They were like the, the cult favorite. And since then, things were kind of underwhelming with the Lob City era. And then the last couple years, I just don't understand why they changed the uniforms as much as they did. Uh, do people on the ground in L.A. think those uniforms are as ugly as I do? No, well, I'm glad you teed me up for this. Another question about attire and, and clothing. I mean, clearly you understand who the expert is on this podcast. I'm glad to you know inform <laughs> you. No, no problem. Um, I will say this. I've written more than my fair share of like amazing Clippers, like front office success stories. Like the part that definitely always gets left out is the branding element, the jerseys element. Uh, there was like rumors of not like a mutiny from the players, but like there was talk that the players were like, some of these jerseys are so whack, we're not going to wear them. <laughs> and so like at some really? at some point they were like changing uh, which jerseys they wanted to wear for certain types of games to get out of wearing other alternates that had been created in recent years. Um, that's an okay. unconfirmed rumor, but I'm pretty sure it's true. Um, I think in general, I wouldn't say that the branding element or the the look of the franchise is necessarily the biggest point of pride right now. It's probably the polite way to yeah. say it. I think that there's a lot of people who realize it needs some work. Um, 
you know, Nike has been doing tweaks to these jerseys basically every summer since they took over. So I would be surprised if they brought back the same jerseys, but I don't think they're going to do another overhaul here uh, for a little bit. You know, Ballmer was kind of hinting that maybe that would come uh, in conjunction with the move to the new arena where like you just do one big splashy uh, redo in 2024. And I think that has like a lot of potential. Um, But I think we're probably stuck with the basic elements like the logo and the color scheme for now. Uh, I think some of their alternates occasionally are a little bit underrated. You know, they've had like baby blue in the past. I don't think their black jersey is that bad. But I think that their bottom tier or at least below average when it comes to the overall jerseys. And I don't see a lot of people like really hyped up about how they look on the court. Yeah, I think that they're leaving a lot of potential on the table, particularly now that their actual team is as cool as it is. Um, And it's frustrating in that respect. But I'm glad I asked you because really I only included this to point out on the podcast how ugly those jerseys are. But it's amazing that the actual players are kind of like, eh, do we have to wear that tonight? I'm with you that the black jerseys are cool. That's the one look that they have going for them. And so hopefully they will kind of lean on those going forward. Um, Keeping it moving, though, uh, Louis says, I'm a Chicagoland native who is a diehard Bulls fan, but I'm wondering if I could possibly be granted partial fan amnesty to root for the Bucks this season. I feel very conflicted rooting for our northern rivals, but they just have so many things to love. Giannis, for one, but also Kyle Korver and Robin Lopez were two of my favorite Bulls of this recent era. And then he goes on from there. But I do think, Ben, this is a a good opportunity to point out that anyone who grew up rooting for the Jordan Bulls is absolutely not allowed to have fan amnesty under any circumstances. If you've lived through titles, you don't get to apply for fan amnesty. Fan amnesty applies to Wizards fans. It applies to Timberwolves fans, Suns fans, Hornets fans. If you're a Bulls fan... Be a Bulls fan, okay? Go going and like moonlighting as a Bucks fan. You can be a Giannis fan, but I'm not gonna grant fan amnesty to teams and and fan bases who have experienced real success. Yeah, I mean, it, look, being a Bulls fan the last five years has been a pretty miserable experience. So it almost seems like you're just telling somebody like, if you're gonna be an alcoholic, drink yourself to death. If you're gonna smoke cigarettes, <laughs> <laughs> smoke five packs a day. Like that's what that rant sounded like to me. There, just I mean, I understand what you're saying about his historical aspect of it but like at some point i have some sympathy for people in louis situation where it's like do i have to do i have to continue hating my basketball life you know this deeply talking myself into zach levine and listening to andrew praise some of these guys who probably aren't going to break out um louis and the answer is yes louis you absolutely have to (laughs) i I don't totally agree with what you're saying but i the partial fan amnesty where you're just gonna dabble in a team like the bucks to me that's out right like for michigan football even at like the very bottom of the barrel you know during like the rich rod years or whatever i wasn't going to be able to just like hop on iowa like that you know or like whatever other penn state some other like uh team that's just sort of like close geographically i mean that almost makes it worse i think louis if you're feeling like you need to quit the bulls you have to quit them for good, okay? It's a permanent breakup. You're cutting all ties. You can go ahead and hop on the Giannis Inc. bandwagon, but you can't keep one foot in and one foot out. So if you want to leave the Bulls, go for it, uh, but you're not going to get welcome back if they if they get somebody big in 2021 free agency. You're done for good. 
Okay. Um, I think that's fair. The key is fully and permanently renouncing all ties to the team that you were originally rooting for. You, you um, can keep the Jordan jerseys, though. Okay. I think there's an there's a, <laughs> an exception to the, this rule, which is like the Jordan exceptionalism definitely applies because maybe he was only a Bulls fan because of Jordan. In which case, to me, that you're getting stuck with a rough owner rough front office all because you wanted to cheer for the most cheerable athlete of all time. I mean, come on. Yeah. You know, it's, it's kind of strange. I don't feel like there has been a similar phenomenon with any teams today, but I felt like growing up bulls gear was just like the coolest basketball gear, maybe the coolest of all sports gear you could own. And I look back, I had like three or four Jordan jerseys I had a Bulls like Eastern Conference Champions hat that I would wear to school like every single day. Did you have a similar? Were you a Bulls fan growing up, or were you a Blazers fan? Um, I had all sorts of Jordan stuff. I was probably more a Jordan fan than anything. Uh, definitely, Blazers yeah. were a big deal, especially the Rip City Blazers. When they played in the finals, though, Bulls versus Blazers, that was like all of the loyalties on the line. Like the gun was to my head. And apologies to the people in Portland, but I was like still rooting for Mike, you know, it's like I was totally I was I was shrugging along with Mike instead of like holding my head in shame along with Cliff Robinson, you know, if that makes sense. So that's why I'm saying if you became a fan of the Bulls because of him, I think that you you now can have amnesty because you didn't realize what you were getting suckered into. I I don't agree. Look, your life was so much cooler than the lives of all the rest of us who were bandwagoning bandwagoning onto the Bulls. Uh, but do what you want. It's a free country. I I too though was I look back and it's almost embarrassing because I was only like I was eight years old maybe, but I was I was a full fledged Bulls fan. Um, and had it been ten years later, I probably would have been a hipster who was like. The Bulls aren't even that cool. Like, forget Michael Jordan. I'm all about Gary Payton and Sean Kemp. But, um, but yeah, I was a diehard Jordan stan way back when. I do think if you're going to hop on the Bucks bandwagon, though, you're going to have to get a Synergy account and, like, go back and watch, like, I don't know, the 2015-16, like, Giannis clips. Or, like, you're going to have to pay some, you know, pay some... Uh, penance for your move here yeah like, some dudes yeah absolutely you know hop in and like really get yeah you've got to see how it germinated because this is kind of you're definitely late arriving to the bandwagon louie people are going to be looking at you sideways a little bit um you probably should have been in that first round of angel investors with yana singh but you know it's okay <laughs> look we can send out a list of clips for potential investors and people who want to jump on the bandwagon. Uh, what I'm saying is not, of, not highlights, though. I think lowlights. Like you should, you should have to really go back and suffer with some like Brandon Jennings, Monta Ellis type stuff. Yeah. Well, and also go back and watch Giannis body checking Mike Dunleavy out of bounds. Oh, that's a back classic. In like the 2014 <laughs> or 15 playoffs. Um, it's there were it's some funny highlights. how everyone was like politely riding around that, which it was a completely psycho move from Giannis, and it actually <laughs> showed his greatness years early. I know. That's the I know. That's the moment we should have known that there was really a fire inside of him because. Dunleavy was lucky to walk away from that. I'm not even exaggerating. I mean, that was a very, very dangerous, very, very flagrant, completely unnecessary play. And the way everyone writes about it, like I actually went back and was reading some of the takes that people had, and it was just like, oh, Giannis got a little bit too excited. (laughs) It was like, well, (laughs) people are being really forgiving here. 
It's 100% true that that's the moment we knew Giannis was going to be great. I don't know if you or I realized it at the time, but looking back, that was it. I mean, that was like, I think it was game six of 2015, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken. He played 15 minutes. They lost by 54 points to the Bulls <laughs> in, a, in a closeout game. I mean, it was just like the ultimate punking. And Giannis was just like, his response to that, like his body could not handle the humiliation, right? Like, cause he had never experienced yeah. it before. So it was like, all right, someone is going to pay and it's going to be Mike Dunleavy Jr. And he did. Well, there it is, Louie. If you want to become a Bucks fan, do what you want, but you first have to watch the entirety of their 54-point playoff loss to the Chicago Bulls like five years ago. I thought you were going to say that you have to stand up and let Giannis bowl you over. (laughs) That was going to be like his hazing ritual. Hey, you can join the Bucks uh, bandwagon as long as Giannis gets to knock you into the third row of the seats. Honestly, Ben, that is a good place to end. I am now going to be going on vacation over the next few weeks. You're going to be holding down the fort, doing some interviews with various people around basketball media. I can't wait to hear what you come up with. I'm also counting on you for the LaMelo Ball investigation as well. I'd, I'd like some updates on Bronny and uh, his progress out in L.A., the next month is your time to shine here. I shine 12 months a year, but I appreciate that. I would say, though, people <laughs> should be tuning in for sure because next week, USA Basketball Camp launches in Las Vegas. There's always lots of fun storylines that come out of that. I realize a lot of the big-name players have already defected, but I'll be there in Vegas for the week. Um, you know, and you know, There should be some good conversations, good insight coming out of that experience. USA Basketball then comes to L.A. the following week, so we're basically getting two solid weeks of USA Basketball content. Uh, very convenient. It's almost like they thought of me and, and the other superstars who have uh, moved to Los Angeles since I moved here. It's great. I, I love how they're teeing us up, Andrew. So there's going to be a lot to talk about from that experience. Um, guys, go ahead and email us, openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. Keep those coming. Um, we will have guest hosts like Andrew mentioned, uh, but please send the questions. Anything you want to know, whether it's basketball-related, life-related, travel-related, whatever, let me know. I will be checking that email all month long throughout August. Also, check us out on Apple Podcasts by searching for Open Floor. That's two words. When you find our page, scroll down. It will say rate and review, tap five stars. It's just that easy. It really, you know, that kind of feedback helps us keep the momentum going during the offseason. It helps justify the fact that I can't put this podcast down and I will continue to host an episode every single week, regardless of whether there's anything happening or not. Andrew, I'm also on Instagram at ben.golver. Check me out on there. Until next month, after your vacation, have a great trip. I will talk to you. All right, man. I will be listening. Talk to you soon.